Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. It's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is April the 20th, 2021, an infamous 420 day. We'll even have a song for that. We have them all week and some thoughts about that at the end. I have a bunch of stuff for you today, though. We're doing a topic roundtable today. Some of this is from feedback, and some of this is just stuff that I've noticed going on. Here's all the wonderful or not-so-wonderful things we're going to cover today. Um, first, even some on the extreme left, like Bill Maher, are questioning the narrative, the COVID narrative, that is. What do you hear some of this? I'm going to play something by him. I think it's about seven minutes long, and there is some liberal tripe in it. I mean, just, ugh, really, like, why do you have to bring... And I know why, and I'll cover it when we get there. But I went in and out on this one. I was I was going to play it. And then I listened to some of the stupidity in it and was not going to play it. And then I was like, but there's so much in it that's so true, I should play it for that. And the point is, this is a leftist saying basically the left has it wrong about COVID, so I should play it. Then I was like, well, maybe I could just play part of it. And I was like, well, that's not right. The whole thing should be heard in context. So it'll make sense when we have it. But I want to play it for you, but I also want to talk a little bit about what it means that even people like this are starting to say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The shit you're telling us isn't true. Okay. Next up, telecommuting is making everyone more efficient. Even the freaking government. Even the government employee. In the bureaucracy with a monopoly on everything, even the government workers more uh, more productive and with telecommuting. That, what that tells us about trends going forward. Uh, then right at, leading into that, uh, the everything shortages here. I have some stuff to tell you about an internal corporate communication. I won't say who the company is or who the source is, but it's a very well-known, very large uh, national company, actually international company. And I'm not going to get into the minutiae, but I'm going to just give you enough of the overview to understand how screwed we are this year when it comes to the cost of things and supply, etc., and then I want to talk to you this morning based on a communication I have with somebody who I really respect a lot, but he, he wants to do some stuff together with me and some other people. And he used a phrase today that I just don't use. And I don't use phrases that I would say that are like them, even if they're not about the same thing. This particular phrase is New World Order. I'm going to tell you why I don't bother using phrases like that and how that relates to human psychology. I'm going to tell you why I expect the big cities to erupt in riots again this year, no matter what happens in the George Floyd case. It won't matter. It won't matter at all. I mean, that might be the catalyst for a new series of riots. It might only be riots there. But I think it doesn't matter. I think if everything goes perfectly well with this and somehow we get out of the ruling in this case not causing riots, we're still going to have riots this year. And why you should, if you live in these places, get the hell out yet again. Um I want to talk about the key to finding a home right now, because here I am telling you, get the hell out, and then homes all over the country are selling for 15 to 20% over asking price, and it looks like we're in a real estate bubble exasperated by the supply shortage that we're going to talk about in a bit. Um, then I'm going to tell you something totally unrelated to all this. It's just kind of a happy little piece of good news, I think. I'm not sure about this yet. But I think I learned something about crayfish. 
And if it's true, it's really awesome. It's really awesome for aquaponics and aquaculture. Um, and then something I heard about government schools today that really hit me hard, and, and something I think that you guys that still have kids in that system should start thinking about. And the real way I've come to peace with how effed up the world is, it's about knowing what I control and what I don't. All of that today in just a moment. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Western Botanicals. I grow herbs. I use herbs. I've learned a lot about herbology over the years. I think a lot of people don't know this about me, but I actually went far down the rabbit hole one time in studying uh, natural remedies and medicine, and I mean in an organized way, uh, where I was actually working toward uh, the credential of master herbalist. And I just decided that I wasn't going to do that. Honestly, I don't have the individual people skills to be a practitioner, uh, and I, t I took as much knowledge as I as I could gain from that that endeavor with me, and I went on with life, and I continue to practice the, that knowledge in my own life. So when Western Botanicals approached me about becoming a sponsor over a decade ago, I was excited, but I was also skeptical because there is there are a few places in the world other you know that that are more full of snake oil salesmen than like and I lump it all together: herbology, homeopathy, um, all of that, supplements, all of it. There's so much snake oil there. It doesn't mean that those things in in themselves are bad. It just means there's tons of bullshit there. Well, when a company like Western Botanicals came forward and, and said, we want to be part of what you're doing, and I looked at who and what they were, I was like, that's it. I'm on board. Yeah, let's go. Let's rock. Uh, if it's legal and herbal, you'll find it at Western Botanicals, and it's all either organically grown or wildcrafted. Real people that really care, an unbeatable selection of herbs and, and, and things to make your own formulas and knowledge, all of it together at westernbotanicals.com. Uh, next up, the Free State Project. Uh, Have you ever thought about moving to a place where you have more freedom? Uh, New Hampshire is being drugged against its will, kicking and screaming into the world of liberty by the Free State Project, and they have a new initiative they launched this year uh, just called Visit New Hampshire. You can find out more about it at fsp.org forward slash visit NH. That's fsp.org forward slash visit NH. Go on up there. Basically, take a vacation, meet some really cool people, and see if New Hampshire's right for you. Again, you can learn more at fsp.org or put the slash visit NH in there if you want to know more about this initiative. All right, with that, let's get into things today, starting off with a quote. And I, I, I was looking for a quote today kind of in a different vein. And somehow I just came across this one. Um, And I'm not sure if I got this guy's last name right. I tried to look up how to pronounce it. There's not a lot of information on him, even though this guy won a Nobel Prize. His name is Ludwig Quitte, I think is how you say it. He's German. And he was very much an anti-war peace-type advocate. Uh, in other words, somebody that should be winning a Nobel Peace Prize. And uh, he said one time in life, particularly in public life, psychology is more powerful than logic. Wow. That, that goes, you, some of you that heard me answer uh, Nick and Mongolia's question about Vin Armani's dim age, And his point he was making that maybe it is easier to lead people today by emotion than it is by making a factual case for a thing. That's exactly what's being said here. There's, there's ways to make a case that are far more powerful, I believe, than emotion when you're talking to a person. But when you're speaking to people, they move in emotion. The... This is a, a known throughout history. 
if you go back to the philosophers of ancient Rome, you see this brought up over and over again, the writings of both the philosophers and the emperors and politicians of the time, that you can move the crowd with the slightest agitation so that it resembles that of the sea, is one of those quotes. But what it actually really makes me think of is Men in Black. Men in Black, when Will Smith's character tells Tommy Lee Jones' character, people are smart. And I'm paraphrasing, I don't have the exact quote here, but it is it was along the lines of, no, a person is smart, people are stupid. And so much of what we're dealing with today, with COVID, is because of exactly that. I have found that if you can get a person out of their little freaking bubble, whichever political bubble they've wrapped themselves in, and actually give them the facts, the facts, not the opinions, the facts about this disease, who it affects, how it affects them, etc., that in general, most individuals, most persons, right, will moderate their position quite a bit. However, you can't do it with people. You can't do it with a crowd. This is impossible. They've been wrapped up in emotion and it can't be pierced. And so I'm wondering how what I'm about to introduce fits into that. I came across a video, an edited version of the video, and it was edited in a way where I believed that it was the totality of the video from Bill Maher. Basically, it was a right-wing person, maybe understanding that in life, particularly public life, psychology is more powerful than logic, who had pieced together kind of the greatest hits that fit the rights narrative, that took away some of the crap you're about to hear, and, and published it. And when I found the entire segment by Bill Maher, And I listened to it. I listened to the nonsense that was included in it. Like, sure, Trump told people to drink household disinfectants. Because we know that's not what... I mean, come on. So it's like such a desire to hate this guy. But I made a decision to pay, play the entire thing for you today. Because I think it actually is important in a variety of ways. I think, number one, Bill Maher knows full well that the average conservative... The average moderate on either side of, of, of the centrist, right? The average centrist, certainly the average libertarian or anarchist or agorist, is not listening to his show. So part of it is he's playing to his audience. The other part of it is he actually believes his own bullshit. And even in the world where somebody believes their own bullshit due to politics, I think there's a point where you start to have a breakdown. You start to have a breakdown, because my wife asked me about this, because she saw the same video I did, the shorter version. And she said, well, what got to him? She, my wife hates him far more than I do. I just think he's an idiot. I think he's a smart idiot, I guess is the way that I would put it, right? Like, I don't really care. I've, I've, and that's kind of my anchor segment today. I've kind of let go of a lot of the, the politics side of the world because I know that me clinging to it doesn't change it. And I need to be more worried about what to do in my life than what to worry about in somebody else's. Um, but it was a valid question. She's like, I mean, he's so far left. He's so far into trusting government. He's so far into all this. What got to him? And I said, you know, I, I, I think there's a point where anybody that uses a modicum of logic in this has to start saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
you've told us for a year now all these horrible things would happen. All these horrible things would happen. If we opened up restaurants, if we didn't wear masks, if we let people go to the beach, if we, like you said, all these things would happen. Well, here's two places where they did it, and they're doing at least as well, if not better, than many of the other places who are still locking their people up. So wait a minute. I'm sorry this doesn't jive. Now, this is the part before I introduce this segment that I shouldn't have to say. But I know some of you people, and I know how you are, and I know I have to say this. If for no other reason, when you make your snide comments about this, I can tell you to go piss off and not worry about explaining anything later. So I can do it once on the air and not have to do it a hundred times in emails and stuff like that after the show goes live. I am not lionizing Bill Maher. I'm not saying he's somebody whose advice we should take in general. I'm not pointing to him as some like like some WWF wrestling star that quit being a bad guy and shook Hulk Hogan's hand and became a good guy. Right? I'm not saying that there is any real redeeming characteristics in this person. I think this man is a typical celebrity leftist sleazebag. However, when even that person starts to say, wait a minute, this is bullshit. You know the narrative is starting to break down, and then there's the other side of it. So what will they do next to spin it back up? Their whole narrative is falling apart. There's other parts of the world that are actually increasing their law. Like British Columbia just went like total Nazi in their lockdown. That's what other governments are doing. They know the narrative is falling apart. They start shrieking and screaming. It's it's hitting younger, more young people now. Well, no, it's not. It, younger people, when they're talking younger people, they're talking 50, by the way. Uh, they're, I'll let Bill explain the whole fat thing to you because he's got that right. But if you're protecting the elderly and they're not ending up in the hospital as much anymore, the people that are going to end up in the hospital are generally younger. Most of them will survive it. And some people die of something every day. But it's all breaking down. And when, when you have a narrative breaking down that the state has been using force to keep in place, the only solution they have is more force. So think about while you listen to this. Uh, think about that while you listen to this. And also think about the fact, again, one more time, you're going to hear things in here that you're like, oh, what an idiot. Yep, that's the point. The point that is even an idiot is starting to see reality, at least in this thing. That's how bad it is. Here we go. And finally, new rule, don't spin me when it comes to my health. Over the past year, the COVID pandemic has prompted the medical establishment, the media, and the government to take a scared straight approach to getting the public to comply with their recommendations. Well, I'm from a different school. Give it to me straight, Doc. Because in the long run, that always works better than you can't handle the truth. Um, now, I get it. Doctors tell people lies because they don't trust you to finish the antibiotics after your dick starts feeling better. And media? Well, I think we all know if it bleeds, it leads. The more they can... The more they can get you to stay inside and watch their panic porn, the higher the ratings. Researchers at Dartmouth built a database recently monitoring the COVID coverage of the major news outlets across the world and found that while other countries mix the good news in with the bad, 
The U.S. national media reported almost 90% bad news. <clears throat> Even as things were getting better, the reporting remained negative. And politicians, they lie because it's their nature to cover their ass so they don't get blamed if things goes badly. And also to keep in practice. <laughs> but when all of our sources for medical information have an agenda to spin us, yeah, you wind up with a badly misinformed population, including on the left. Liberals often mock the Republican misinformation bubble, which, of course, is very real. Ask anyone who works at Hillary's pizza parlor. <laughs> and we do know conservatives have some loopy ideas about COVID, like the third of Republicans who believe it couldn't be spread by someone showing no symptoms. But what about liberals? You know, the high information by the science people. In a recent Gallup survey, Democrats did much worse than Republicans in getting the right answer to the fundamental question, what are the chances that someone who gets COVID will need to be hospitalized? The answer is between 1 and 5%. 41% of Democrats thought it was over 50%. Another 28% put the chances at 20 to 49. So almost 70% of Democrats are wildly off on this key question and also have a greatly exaggerated view of the danger of COVID-2 and the mortality rate among children. All of which explains why today the states with the highest share of schools that are still closed are all blue states. So if the right-wing media bubble has to own things like climate change denial, shouldn't liberal media have to answer for, how did your audience wind up believing such a bunch of crap about COVID? <laughs> a, a new report in The Atlantic says the media won't stop putting pictures of the beach on stories about COVID, even though it's looking increasingly like the beach is the best place to avoid it. Sunlight is the best disinfected, and vitamin D is the key to a robust immune system. Texas lifted its COVID restrictions recently, and their infection rates went down, in part because of people getting outside to let the sun and wind do their thing. But... But to many liberals, that can't be right, because Texas and beach-loving Florida have Republican governors. But life is complicated. I've read that the governor of Florida reads. <laughs> I, I know we like to think of Florida as only middle school teachers on bath salts having sex with their students in front of an alligator. But apparently the governor is also a voracious consumer of the scientific literature. And maybe that's why he protected his most vulnerable population, the elderly, way better than did the governor of New York. Those are just facts. I know it's irresponsible of me to say them. Look. Here's what I'm saying. I don't want politics mixed in with my medical decisions. And now that everything is politics, that's all we do. 
if their side says COVID is nothing, our side has to say it's everything. Trump said it would go away like a miracle. And we said it was World War Z. Trump said we should ingest household disinfectants. And we laughed, as we should, of course. And then it turned out 19% of America was literally drenching the fruit in Clorox. And now, of course, we find out that all that paranoia about surfaces will bullshit anyway. Even though we spent hours and hours wiping our knobs with Lysol. And if you've ever wiped your knob with Lysol. (laughs) I think, you know. Now go home and wash the mail. If you lie to people, even for a very good cause, you lose their trust. I think a lot of people, thank you. (laughs) I think a lot of people died because of Trump's incompetence. And I think a lot of people died because talking about obesity had become a third rail in America. I, I know you've heard me pound this fried drumstick before. But since I last mentioned it, a stunning statistic was reported. 78% of those hospitalized, ventilated, or dead from COVID have been overweight. It is the key piece of the puzzle, by far the most pertinent factor, but you dare not speak its name. Imagine how many lives could have been saved if there had been some national campaign, a la Michelle Obama's Let's Move program, with the urgency of the pandemic behind it. If the... If the media and the doctors had made a point to keep saying, but there's something you can do, but we'll never know because they never did. Because the last thing you want to do is say something insensitive. We would literally rather die. Instead, instead we were told to lock down. Unfortunately, the killer was already in the house and her name is Little Debbie. All right, so again, I want you to consider the source there. That's why I felt morally obligated, even though it might have dinged an IQ or point or two off, if you don't worry, it's temporary, it'll come back, listening to some of the leftist drivel in there, right? And for those that are new to me, understand, the, the right has a lot of right, right-wing right drivel, too. In fact, I, I find it interesting that a person, that, I mean, I, I call the guy an idiot, but he's actually, like I said, he's a smart idiot. There's so much legitimate to, 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 to uh, criticize about the right. It amazes me these people have to focus on nonsense instead of legitimate criticism. I guess it's all part of the psyop to control you. But I did feel morally obliga- obligated to play that entire thing in all its context because I think it actually, if you can let go of your reactionary mode to the negative, I think it makes the case that the narrative is breaking down more not less powerful. It makes it more powerful. A person that actually thinks that way, saying this is bullshit, is actually way more powerful than a person who was already predisposed to your line of thinking saying it's bullshit. Anyway, I want to go straight on from that. It speaks for itself. Um, But do think about the fact that you're going to see increased force and violence to try to maintain this narrative as it falls apart. All right, so next up, This is interesting to me. I'm not going to go real long into it, but there's an article out um, this week on Federal News Network. came out about five days ago. It's by a dude named uh, Jory Heckman. 
SBA executives, that's small business administration executives, beyond doubt that teleworking employees are more productive. Let me read some of this. The Small Business Administration is 14 years worth of loans and 14 days under the CARES Act over the past year and nearly tripled its workforce to process hundreds of billions of dollars in pandemic relief spending approved by Congress. The agency could do none of it, uh, none, none of it top F SBA Top SBA official said without the flexibility of a 100% remote workforce, now they're considering the benefits of making long-term telework a permanent feature for agency workforce. I will uh, let you look it up and read the rest of the article if you want to. It's uh, a lot longer than that. It goes on and on and on and on. And I think uh, Mr. Heckman is trying to justify his existence as a writer because there really is not a lot more of it that it's that heavily materialistic. But this is what this means. I know that you're going to say, well, just giving out money, you jerks. I mean, I understand that. But it's still their job every day. When you have government entities and entities that are maybe not completely public, but they are so fascistized, is that a word now? Fascistized into uh, governmental you know, relationships that they are essentially government. And you take them and they're able to increase their workflow 14x by not having people go to the office. That's literally the change that's made. People don't come in. We can do 10 times more work. That tells you this works. And the bigger thing to understand about this is this mega trend that I wrote about for the first time I wrote about it. I've been telling you about it for years. But I wrote about it in the summer last year. It's almost a year ago now. I wrote about this as the eight mega trends that, that, that came from COVID killing the dying. They were already in place and COVID accelerated them was this very thing right here. People are going to go home and never go back to the office. There are, there, there are a lot of people out there like me that this does not surprise at all. It does not surprise us at all because we had jobs where this had to be the way we have done things for most of our lives. Now, I know you think, well, you're a podcaster. No, I'm not talking about podcasting. For a long time, I worked in, in, in corporate sales. I was the vice president of sales for the northeastern region for a company called Fluke Networks. It's a $500 million company. My company was headquartered in Seattle, and my territory was Virginia to Maine, over to the Ohio border with Pennsylvania, so not into Ohio. So western PA, back into New England, down to, to, to the Virginia border with you know North Carolina. That was my territory. So how am I going to sit in a cubicle in Seattle, Washington? And the answer is I'm not going to. And I had other jobs like that as well, also in sales. And there's many of us that, that came up in our careers, probably 5% of the workforce, where one way or another we spent most of our time not in the office. And we knew, flat out knew, the entire time that we got more shit done than the people in the office. Not because ego, because reality. Because all of those positions were positions that were highly incentivized toward productivity. When you're in sales, you either make quota or you get fired. And if you want to make real money, you exceed quota excessively. Right? So it's all about productivity. Which means that you have a predisposition to excel. To, to excel. However, you also have an ability to do so. And I don't mean an innate human ability. I mean you have the environment where it can happen. 
I, I just think, like, when I was in sales, how stupid it would have been. Let's say if my office was local, but I had to spend an hour in the car every day to get to work and an hour to get home. Like, I do when I started this show, because I was running a company I needed to be at. Um, but if I had done that during my sales career, that's 10 hours a week I'm not selling. That's 10 hours a week I'm not selling. That's insane. That's stupid. And it applies to every other position as well. People will work just a little bit more if they have a little bit more freedom in the way that they work. And they will also avoid busy item time wasters. So there are two types of profession, or two types of jobs, I guess you would say, in, in, in the country, in my opinion, if you really want to like get totally macro and, and, and break them down as little as possible. There are jobs where you have absolutely no opportunity whatsoever to screw up at work without getting fired. There are jobs like that. They're the minority of jobs, especially today. They were the factory jobs of old, especially pre-union. You walk in, you punch a time clock, you go to your station, you do your work. When the bell rings, you take a 15-minute break. Some people are faster or better than others at it. But in general, you don't just walk away from your place and spend 15 minutes standing around a coffee maker talking to somebody about the football game this weekend. You don't do it. You don't get to do it. It's not possible. The vast majority of jobs in America have at least some of that in it. There's varying levels, and then depending on your station in life at the business, right? Like if you are complete low-rung entry level, you may only get to do a little bit of that. But the higher you move up, the more of this happens. So your most highly compensated employees are the ones that get around, basically sitting around scratching each other's ass, talking shit around the coffee maker or the water cooler whatever. When you send them home, this doesn't happen as much. Additionally, the employee that's in the office created for their supervisor the illusion of supervision because the, the supervisor's off picking his butt somewhere. But since they're sitting in a cubicle, they feel like, oh, well, he's here. He's at work. So a lot of them, especially in this day and age, are, you know, they're Instagramming or whatever, and they, they block that at workplaces. Do you block their phones? Right? Do you block their phones? How do you like? I know for a fact. I know people that are sitting there at their workstations, right? They've got two computers up. One's a laptop they have for taking home. They have their laptop tethered to their smartphone. That way, they can check in on Facebook and all that shit. Like, you're, and I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, "Well, that stuff happens at home too." It actually happens less because when they send that type of employee home, they're more likely to monitor what they're doing remotely. But the other side of it is, even if they're doing it, they still get more done. And this is going to be a fundamental reality for people. Think about it this way. One of the problems we have is we always think way too small when we analyze trends as individuals. We think about it, well, you know, Joe Blow's mom and pop uh, muffler emporium or something, you know. We don't think about it from the standpoint of a company with 500 or 5,000 employees. Let's say I'm company XYZ, I make XYZ widgets. And so widget manufacturing is actually a small portion of my job force. I've got salespeople, I've got marketing people, I've got inventory people, I've got all kinds of compliance issues to deal with because I'm big enough to be a public company. I've got all kinds of people working, and all they do is sit on their ass all day behind a desk and pick each other's butts while they talk about freaking shit around the coffee maker, right? So that's what I'm dealing with. Now, I send everybody home. I send everybody I can home. And let's say my productivity didn't even go up. Now, we know it does. Let's just say it didn't. Because let's talk about the decision that gets made here in a boardroom. 
right? There's probably a virtual board boardroom today, by the way. So my productivity didn't go up or down. It remained constant. Like I got the same result. And 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 Bob from bookkeeping, you know, gets on Zoom with me and says, "Hey, Jack, uh, I've been going over the numbers from X Y. We spend something million dollars a year uh, for all this building and infrastructure." that I think we can cut down to 10%. What? Yeah, we can cut like all we can cut almost all this shit out. We need like a core group of people that actually have an office. Uh, we can we can just abandon this building. Like can we get money for it? No, you're going to have to abandon it, but it's okay. But we have we have we're not going to get we're not going to go bankrupt over it. They're not going to be able to collect it. We're just going to bail out. We're going to pay the exit clause in it and uh it, we're going it's going to cost us short-term money, but long-term we're going to we're going to put $3 million a year, $4 million a year, $5 million a year, who knows what, right, to our bottom line just by closing all this down. Do you know what we're doing? We're closing this down. We're closing this down. And then I'm going to get a call from, like, my HR person who says, yeah, we really got to keep doing this. And I'm going to go, well, why? And she's going to be like, well, you know, I've been talking to some of our employees, and we've been talking about bringing them back in, and they're getting offers from other companies that will let them stay home, and they've indicated to me that they prefer it this way, so if we make them come back, they're going to take these other offers. And I could keep going, but I won't. My point is, as soon as the productivity is at least as good, it's over. It's done. It's out the door. They're not coming back. And as much as half of the workforce... As much as half of our workforce in America is moving to or has moved to remote work and will never, ever, ever, ever go back to the mothership ever. And this is an absolute real estate crisis for major cities, especially the expensive ones and commercial real estate. And it's only going to get worse from here. So sooner or later, you got to get the hell out of these cities because it's not going to get better. It's not going to change. This bullshit that I keep hearing, like, what would a young person want with living in suburbia? I don't know. You mean where they grew up? These people, I don't know what these people, who are these people that these people are talking about? I listen to even some of the podcasts and stuff like that. Where, yeah, the city will be back, you know. Uh, I can't see what a, what a, what a young person is going to do out there in suburban land or whatever. You're like, what are you talking about? What are you talking, like, There's no life outside of New York City. And I think these are people, they like the life that New York City used to represent, and they think everybody's like them. We all tend to get myopic like that. No, it's done. It's done. Commercial real estate is going to be a shell of what it was forever. Because all that's going to happen with these technologies, like Zoom, etc., is they're going to get better. They're already good. They're going to get better. And this idea that we can't supervise an employee who's more of a worker bee when they're home is stupid. I'm going to tell you how stupid it is. The year was way on back in 2001. That's when I was the uh, regional VP for Fluke Networks. And my counterpart, who was here in Texas, who ran you know the southwest region, actually the southeast region, which I don't know how Texas got in the southeast region, but it did. Um, he His name was Rob. And we were talking about this very thing all the way back then. And we were talking about how much freedom we have and how great that is. And he said, you know, I have reps that don't. Because what we did, we managed rep firms. So I had five different rep firms, about 38 individuals that reported to me. 
and he had kind of a similar thing down here in, in Texas. And each one of those firms was his own company or manufacturer's representative firms. And he had one uh, called PSA. And he said, those guys that work for me there are more managed by their owner than an employee in an office is. I'm like, how do you mean? He goes, he has to make calls and everything every day. And I'm like, yeah, we all have to you know, report stuff and make your number. He goes, no, you don't understand. They all have software on their computer. And he can monitor down to their keystrokes. He knows exactly what they're doing when they're doing it. If they're screwing off, he gets a report that this, you know, this employee was over here screwing off instead of working. Now, I'm sure these people were smart enough to have like a second computer in the house and radios or whatever going on, right? But he could also tell like inactivity, long-term periods of inactivity. And they needed to report, like if they were going out on a call, they had to enter the information about where they were going and when they expected to be back. Now, I think this was over-the-top micromanagement, and I always looked at salespeople this way. You carry a bag, you make your bag, or you get fired. That's all, that's all I really need to know until I start to see some lack in your performance. Right? I, I don't need to micromanage a salesperson, and if I do, I need a different salesperson. But that's what this guy wanted to do. The point being, back in 2002, if you wanted extreme oversight of remote workers, it was possible then. And by the way, it's 2021 now. We have better technology. It's never coming back. It has far-reaching implications, and it is going to become more and more and more the case. You're going to see more and more brick-and-mortar stores going away forever. I know it's hard to believe right now. You go out and all the mass cars are out there in their masks, shopping arm-in-arm with each other while they pretend to be afraid of COVID, right? Um, it's going to happen. There's almost nothing that you can't get now without going out to get it. I think the last thing to fall will be food. I think the last thing to fall will be food because even with the attempt to get us all eating space rations, uh, soy-based crap, there's a fundamental human reality that if I'm going to get you know, three peppers in three different colors, because I want to do some really cool stir-fry shit tonight, red, yellow, and green, right? I want to look at them. I want to look at them. I want to see them. I want to pick them out, and I'm going to be like, I don't like that one. Mm, that one's a little bit thicker walled. I want that one. Like that's like one of the most subjective things that we buy is fresh food. If it comes in a box, no one gives a shit. But if it's fresh, it, picking meat out, even like that's why Butcher Box is our sponsor was such a big win for them. I know it doesn't seem like that now that they've gotten so big, but in the beginning, it was a big win for them to get somebody like me to endorse them. Because I'm like, I don't buy a meat in a box. I want to look at my meat. I want to see. I want to know. And like once I started getting their product, I'm like, oh, okay. So even something like that can win people over. So the whole thing is going to liquidate itself. So we're, we're having an inverse relationship right now, and that's, that's a spooky thing with economic disruptions. You're having a crash in commercial real estate that has not been fully realized yet because everything's been pro so propped up and so bailed out for so long and that's so cheap that a lot of these places are being held on to even though they're not needed anymore. But it's beginning to fall apart. And at the same time, you're having a reverse impact on desirable real estate skyrocketing, which we'll talk about in a bit. So while residential is exploding everywhere except the cities, commercial is imploding everywhere, including the cities. And it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse because, you know, Susan and Human Resources is not going to need to go to the office to even look at the humans anymore. 
That's that's where we're we're at. We're not even headed there now. We're there. COVID is killing and dying. All right. Next up, I want to just real quick hit on something. A person I really respect today that's trying to put some stuff together uh, with myself and some other influencers and himself reaching more people was communicating with me today, and he used the term New World Order. He was asking about another individual that I suggested we involve in what we're doing, and he said, you think he's ready to tell society about the New World Order today? I'm like, look, man, I know what you're saying, and I don't necessarily even disagree with you, but if we're going to lead with that kind of mindset, I'm out. And I'm going to tell you why, and it has a lot to do with human psychology. There is a group of people that I would say are relatively awake to the fact that society is not like it seems. It, the people we were talking about yesterday that are still asleep are the other ones, right? The show I did yesterday is impossible to wake people up anymore, and I don't know. But there are people that are awake. They're at various degrees of being awake to understanding how you're manipulated, how you're controlled, why they call the shit they put on TV for you to look at programming, because it programs your brain, the fact that the education system is an indoctrination center, etc. There is a small remnant of people, very small group of people, that that's who they are. Then there's a small group of people that seek to control others. Some of them understand exactly what they're doing, and some of them are just using the system as it falls in front of them. That's also a small group of people. Those people, those psychopaths, when people say New World Order, whether they know it or not, that's who they're talking about. And then there is the vast majority of humanity who is walking around in a waking sleep. And as I talked about yesterday, these people do not want to be unplugged from the Matrix even when they get into the Neo position, like Neo was at the beginning, where they know something's wrong. Because there is a group of people we can reach. And generally they're people that are already straddling that fence. And they're generally people who are trying to do something in their life. Like let's say they're trying to start a farm or something. And the people that were always like, eh, this is all conspiracy theory, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like they're like, what do you mean I can't do that? All I wanted to do was raise some pigs and chickens. What do you mean I can't do that? What do you mean I can't? I, what? And then they start to wake up even more. They start to, and it can be anything that, that jars them loose. But it's discomfort. There's a lot of discomfort in it. There's a lot of I don't really want to accept this in it. Many of you, you did it. It was like being in some ways born again, but not in the let's baptize you and make you a member of the church way, but literally going through the process. Like, and that's what the Matrix represented. We talked about that yesterday, where he's in the pod, and it pops open, and he comes out and slides down the water chute, water slide, basically, of goo, and gets rescued by Morpheus and the, and the guys, right, and the gals. Um, it really was like a birth, right? Like being born into reality. Being born, I don't remember it myself. But I got to imagine, as much as it's uncomfortable for the woman doing it, it's not real comfortable for the baby either. I mean, being in a womb right now as an adult seems probably kind of gross, like being surrounded by goo and having something plugged into your neck, except it's in your stomach instead of your neck, right? See, kind of like I mean, right? It's like being embryonic, right? But if that's all you've ever known as a, as a growing child inside your mother, it's warm in there. You don't have to worry about eating. All your nutrition comes in through that cord. You dream. You hear sounds, those sounds become part of, like everything just seems kind of good. 
And then, oh, it's all ruined. It's all ruined. You're sucking air into lungs that have never breathed before. Somebody's sticking their finger in your throat. Somebody's smacking you in the ass. Like, what the hell? That's what it's like when people wake up. You might not remember. It's just like you don't remember being born because maybe it was so long ago. And unlike being born, it was so abrupt. And it was, I'm in the womb, I'm out of the womb. You had more time to acclimate to it. Well, when people are in that mode, because again, the vast majority, you're never going to reach anyway. Don't worry about it. Let go. People that are already awake, great. We can talk to them about whatever they're looking to talk about now. The people that are like, oh, I'm waking up, man. Oh, If you give them anything that lets them crawl back inside, they will. And if you take a polarized piece of terminology that has not only been over-the-top made out to be lunacy by the people that want to maintain control of people, but people using it themselves who think they're helping but they're not have gone off into loony town with it themselves talking about space alien reptilians controlling the planet, and the person that's in that half-awake, half-asleep stage Right? That, that just, I'm looking for a reason not to do this. That's where most people are. They don't want to believe it because it means everything they've based their life on up till now is a lie. It's one reason, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but in some ways it is harder to wake up a Republican than a Democrat. It really is. Because the Democrat believes what they're told and knows it. The Republican thinks they believe in truth, justice, and the American way. The Republican thinks they've made an independent choice to see the wisdom of our founders with no idea what that actually means. And so, in some, and in some ways, the Republican has a stronger case for the morality of what they believe, and therefore they have less kinks in the armor. That's why the left went totally woke. To strengthen their armor against reality. So either side of that, if you start to bring people out of that, they're saying, much like a person considering suicide who's reaching out, please give me a reason not to do this. With the person considering suicide, we want to give them a reason not to do it. The person waking up, it is like a suicide. A suicide of your old way of being. You have to let, that's why I say it's like being reborn, to accept that the school systems indoctrinate your children. To accept that the news media lies to you, including the right-wing media, period. And they know they're doing it when they do it, and they're doing it both for ratings and to control you. To accept that two politically active groups that think they are diametrically opposed to each other are being used by the same oligarchs on the top to further a goal. To accept all of those things is to let die whichever side you were clinging to. So you're saying, please give me a reason not to kill my old self. And somebody says, New World Order. There it is. I don't have to do this now. I knew they were crazy. I knew they were batshit crazy. They believe, and even if the person saying it means it a totally different way than the way that person's taking it, the second they hear the term, I, well, now I know. That's that crazy guy that thinks lizards, Hillary's in a lizard suit, or you know, Hillary is a lizard in a human suit, or whatever. Like, okay, I don't have to believe this now. 
And that's why I don't use terminology like that, even where I understand. I also think if you really believe what you're saying when you say the New World Order, it's the dumbest phrase in history. Yep. And, and I'm not saying that a lot of your points aren't valid. Bilderberger Group, Council of, Council of Foreign Relations, etc. The agenda, I know it, I get it. Agenda 2030, I understand. I agree with all that. But New World Order is stupid. Do you know why it's stupid? Because it's the same people and the same families who've been controlling things for hundreds, if not thousands of years. It's not a new world order. It's the world order. It's the people in control remaining in control using the latest technology to stay in control and hence become more in control. It's, it is, it is the old world order afraid that the control they've exerted over us is waning and feeling a need to tighten their grip, least we destroy ourselves, because they actually think they hold the world together. But I ain't going to use terms like that, and I will not associate myself with things that lead with that type of thinking, because it will only serve to push away the partially awake. It will only serve to alienate people who have half a clue what's going on, so they never find out a whole clue about what's going on. Anything that has already been poisoned in the mind of the masses, should be let go. It's why I don't use the word anarchist. I think agorist is a much more accurate description of my personal ideology. But generally, when I say to somebody agorism, or agorism, depending on how I feel like pronouncing it, by the way, um, the, kind of the founder of the modern agorist movement, uh, a gentleman named Samuel Edward Conklin, Conklin, Uh, and I think if you have not read A New Libertarian Manifesto, uh, you really should. Uh, but he was fond of referring to the entire thing as libertarianism. And when he did say agorist, he said agorist. And really, pretty much no one in modern times used that term before him. So I guess we can lay back on that. Anyway, um, if you have a term that's poison, don't use it. Don't use it. Because you have to understand, leading off what I said yesterday, there's only a small number of people who are in that twilight zone. And if you use the poison word with them one time, you send them running back to the other side. And next up today, I, I just wanted to say this really quick. Right now, all eyes are on the George Floyd murder case. I can't think of the officer's name that kneeled on the man's neck. Um... I know people always want to know what you think, and they always read what you think into what you say. So let me tell you what I think about this whole thing. I think George Floyd was not a pillar to the community by any means of the words. Um, I don't think he was completely innocent in what was going on. I don't think it was just some guy minding his own business uh, who was harassed. I, I, I do think that the crime alleged, even if it was actually going on, was pretty minor crime. I do think he had fentanyl in his system to a level where he might have died anyway. But if I were on this jury, unless they've learned something that I don't know, extreme don't know by going in, I would be uh, highly likely to vote uh, guilty on something like third-degree murder. Because you don't kneel on a man's neck for freaking more than five minutes like that. And I don't remember if it was seven or nine. That's why I'm hedging my bet with it. I don't care if it's four. You don't kneel on a person's neck. You don't kneel on a person's neck, especially when that person has handcuffs on them, is laying on the ground and screaming, I can't breathe. And I need help. Um, I have no doubt the man resisted arrest. I have no doubt that 
it might have turned out differently had he not. And I have no doubt that the job of an officer is difficult. I, I know all those things. You don't kneel on the side of a man's neck for that long and then get away scot-free if he dies. Because you have to accept that you at least contributed to his death when you did not need to. So he'd be getting a, but he wouldn't get a first degree murder conviction from me. Uh, you can be mad about that. You can write me hate mail, whatever. I'm just telling you what I think so that when I say what I'm about to say, you guys understand that that actually is not connected to it. Because otherwise you'll be looking for it. So I expect our cities, specifically Portland, Seattle, et cetera, to erupt in violence again this summer. Like I keep seeing the memes about riot season. I think that's because in the collective consciousness, we all know this. This could be the catalyst, but if it's not, something will be. Let's say from a standpoint of not having riots, what is the what is the best result the people threatening to riot here could expect? First degree murder conviction. So let's say, what's his name, Dick Face, cop, right, um, gets convicted of first degree murder. They're still going to riot. I guarantee you they're still going to riot. They're going to find some reason to riot. How big that spreads will have a lot to do. Now, a not guilty? Well, it might be just like it all happened all over again and immediately spread nationally. So it's somewhere in between minor localized rioting, significant localized rioting, which is, if I'm a betting man, that's what I'm taking. It may be a little bit of peripheral, but mostly it's going to be, he's probably going to get a conviction. I think he's going to get a conviction. Here's, here's one thing I've, I've said to people when they, when they try to defend this cop and what he did and saying, but you know, he was, he had drugs in his system, or whatever. Okay. He was using a form of carotid restriction, right? He's restricting the carotid artery, right? Now, if you've studied martial arts in length or you've had like military combative training, I've done both, and you learn how to use this restriction method to incapacitate a person, and we call it choking someone out is, is one instance of it. Now, you're not actually choking them out because you're never constricting the airway you're constricting, constricting the carotid arteries on both sides of the neck. This is actually really important. You're constricting the arteries on both sides of the neck. One artery supplies one side of the brain with blood, the other, the other side of the brain with blood. Now, you can get into conditions where somebody has had, uh, due to diet, let's say, uh, a pretty big restriction of an artery, and they can have some issues, but the body will kind of rebalance Right, so if you, you there's people walking around that have almost complete restriction on one side. Now, I know somebody's going to bring that up to me and try to make the case that what I'm about to say is not true, but that doesn't happen like instantly. That happens slowly over time, and then the body kind of adapts to that. When you restrict one side in a um, a way that you would call acute, it is like not the same as it is like giving that person an artificial stroke. The problem being that you're causing major restriction and stress to the body and the mind, but you're not doing it sufficiently to render them unconscious. It would have been far better had he just went down and locked on to the guy and knocked him the hell out for a couple seconds, and while he's trying to come to, threw him in the back of the cop car. When you do one side like that, you are going to end up causing serious physical reactions in the individual that are unnecessary. Because let me ask you what a person with their hands cuffed behind their back 
with three adult men trained, to, four adult men trained to handle them, is capable of doing when he's laying on his stomach with somebody just simply putting their foot in the center of his back, and anybody when he tries to, to get his feet up just kicks the feet out. And the answer is he can't do shit. And this is why this was so bad. It was so bad because even the rational person like me goes, no, you killed the guy. He would have died anyway. I don't care. You don't know that. I can look at this and say it is reasonable that any thinking person would believe that you contributed to this man's death and it didn't have to happen. And so that caused the initial explosion, but the explosion... Okay, if you take a match and you have a wet tile floor, and it's wet with water to be clear, and you light that match and you throw it on the floor, what happens? goes out. Now, if you take that match and you take a big pile of well-dried tinder, you put a huge pile of, of, of kiln-dried lumber on top of it, you soak the whole thing with kerosene, and you light a match, and you throw it underneath the pile on the tinder, what happens? That was George Floyd. So, what I ask you, Is, is the situation now, as far as the probability of a fire being ignited by a single match, higher or lower than a year ago? I think it's higher. So the only question becomes, will there be a match? I guarantee you there will be a match. And if there isn't one, somebody will make one. We are going to have riots, I believe this year, worse than last year. And I would just say, prepare accordingly. And if you're still in one of these places, please get out. All right, on that note, what is the key right now to finding a home to buy? It's what I call the reverse 1% formula. But you might have to be more flexible on the where to make this work. So for those who don't know, I have a formula for selling homes. And I've been able to sell homes in the middle of economic downturns above asking in less than a day every time I did it. Like, the longest I had a home listed for was five days, and that was in the middle of an economic downturn. And it was a mobile home, and it was in a kind of depressed rural area. And I got above asking in less than five days because of the 1% formula. And the 1% formula is you look at everything available at the price point you're selling at in the area you're selling at it, and you make the property you're selling just 1% better. You find the best-looking two or three properties you can, And you do just one or two things to make it look better or actually be better than those. And since buyers are settlers, they'll buy your property. It works right now when the market's hot and it works when the market's shit because there's always somebody trying to buy a house somewhere. Now, I've come to terms with the fact that this is not normal times. I have a friend looking to buy a home near me and there's literally none for sale. I didn't say there were none affordably for sale. I didn't say that there were none for sale in his price range. I didn't say that there were none for sale that are good enough for him. Because it's like there's crap and then there's good and then there's really expensive. I said there's none for sale. There's literally, within like 10 miles of my house right now, one place for sale for $1.2 million. So there is one for sale. That is out of his price range. And, and honestly, I wouldn't pay that much for the place. So I get that this is not normal times, even normal good times. 
there's there's literally a real estate shortage in especially what's become the new desirable places to live, which is not there. Not Seattle, not Portland, not Los Angeles, not San Francisco, not New York as a whole. Like people are leaving in droves and the the places they're going to the most are Texas and Florida. But they're going all over small town America, just like I said they would. Well, that creates a short shortage of supply. So how do you how do you deal with this? Well, what you need to do to deal with this is you need to look further out and you need to figure out how to make it work for you. I think that's the only way to go right now. Otherwise, I think you are better off running right now. I don't think this continues indefinitely. And I kind of moved one of my bullet points down to kind of reiterate the point that I'm going to make about this. But you're trying to buy at the top of a bull market. I mean, people get this with cryptocurrency, right? I'm not going to buy Bitcoin while it's at an all-time high and it's still going up. I think that makes a lot of sense to a degree. I mean, you don't know really where the top is. If we all knew where the top is, we'd all sell one point underneath it and it would lower the top by one point. Right, but when when you're trying to compete to buy in a in a bull run, you're going to pay more. Well, we have the biggest property bull run ever, and even as buying pressure has waned, inventory waned more. So if you have your heart set on an area, and you are not flexible there, I think you have to wait it out a little bit. And I want to kind of talk about that with this other thing I'm calling the everything shortage. So a good friend of mine, and some of you that, I won't say his name, but some of you that have been to my workshops have met him uh, many times. It is not my buddy David that I talk about all the time. It's just another person who I only actually ever see in real life during workshops. Uh, sent me an industry webinar PowerPoint uh, that his company um, put out. And it's literally everything they use. It's plastics, it's PVCs, it's rubber, it's steel, it's screws, it's wall plates. Um, it's everything associated with new home construction, everything associated with remodeling. Um, and the projections right now are this should all level out by the end of this year. Projections can be wrong, but if this was the only thing I'd seen that said that, I'd be less likely to think that they're probably at least close to right. Pretty much, and, and I've seen this compiled from different sources by different people that say the same thing involved as materials run. And in the exasperating circumstances, so COVID hit, but that's not the cause of the problem itself. COVID hit, and industry overestimated the impact of COVID and the shutdowns on a lack of demand. They expected to be less demand than there was. Then the government gave out money. People went and started spending money, and people that stayed home spent more money than they've ever spent before. And all of it compounded upon each other, and there's literally nothing that's not in short supply right now. And the fact that you can go get it doesn't mean the supply's not short. You're going to pay more for it. And this is actually, in some ways, I'm going to explain this to you, some ways this is a good thing. Not always, but some ways it's a good thing. Why is it a good thing? The same reason it's a good thing when there's a storm in an area and a store like Best Buy where people are going to buy cases of bottled water which is not the place to get cases of bottled water says fine we charge a dollar 30 a bottle every day 
Multiply a dollar thirty a bottle times you know twenty four bottles. That's how much cases. What that prevents, at a time when the supply is more necessary, is people hoarding and excessively buying, or at least it reduces it. So, right now, if lumber had not gone up in price, and we still had the same supply line issues, there'd be a real lumber shortage. Right now, when people say lumber shortage, what they mean is I have to wait longer and pay more, right? The type of shortage I'm talking about would be like a World War II shortage of a thing. We have rationing, and some people can't get it all, and some people will never be able to get it. And that's what happens when you come in and you apply pricing controls in this situation. You say, oh, we're not going to let you extort people. Oh, okay. So then everybody buys like crazy. So then there's you completely wipe out the supply chain. And then once the supply chain is completely wiped out, You're going like gangbusters to fill it back up, but as soon as you get a little bit of inventory in, it's gone. And then sooner or later, the same entity that thought they were fixing it in the first place, the government, who put the pricing controls in, have to come put supply line controls in, in the form of rationing and quotas. And so it's, it's of all the things they screwed up, at least they haven't done that yet. I'm afraid you're going to see it sooner or later this year, though. Pricing controls followed by quotas. And it almost always happens that way. It's very seldom that if you look through history, you see a government issue rations on a thing that they did not first issue price controls on. It's The two go hand in hand because the market will adapt and the market will adjust. But I'm just going to say, if you felt like this is a thing, I have multiple sources confirming it's a thing. And I told you it was going to happen like a year ago. And so what do you do now? Well, hopefully, you've gotten the things you really need. And I think what you do now going forward, with your, especially like a lot of this is a materials thing, question whether you really need or whether it really makes sense to do a project. And if it does, what do you really need to buy to get the project done? I think we need to start looking more toward salvage and recycling. Right? I mean, if you, if you go to countries where you just don't go to Home Depot, right? Because they just don't have Home Depot. And you see the creativity and the ingenuity of people in building things and getting things done with what they have, you realize what a wasteful, effing society America is. It always used to amaze me when, like, this is before I was doing TSP, before I was switched on a lot of this stuff, but just I had been some places. Like, I had spent six months in Honduras, in the middle of the Aguan River Valley, which is the middle of freaking nowhere. Lived in a tent for six months. Shit in a 50-gallon drum cut in half in a wooden outhouse for six months. Peed in a tube, a piece of PVC shoved in the ground with lime around it and a screen over it so the bees wouldn't come out of the tube because for some reason bees like pee and sting you in the dick when you were taking a pee, right? Like, I lived that way, and I lived good compared to the people around me. And I would listen to people like my friends say, well, if things ever got that bad, I would just go to the dump. I'll eat garbage. And I'm like, you know, when things get that bad, people don't throw any food away. They couldn't even understand that because they hadn't seen it. So in these societies where you don't just go get new things, and people tend not to just throw things away without thinking about them, when people need to do a thing, they get really innovative instead of just going out and buying materials for it. 
and wasting things. And I think we're going to have to be that way, especially this year. I don't think this will ever go 100% back to normal. One of the reasons I'm so bullish on things like Bitcoin is because of how much damage has been done to the dollar that can never be taken back. I think that in time, and understand, more responsible does not equal responsible. I think in time, the Fed and the government is going to have to be more responsible with monetary creation. I didn't say they'd be responsible. I said more responsible, maybe less irresponsible. Um, but I don't think you can pull back what you already did. So we haven't had hyperinflation, and it's not coming, because as I've said many times famously now, when you dump a huge pile of dirt into a hole, you don't get a pile. You fill the hole. Well, there is a point where the hole's full and you get a mound. That's where we're at. And I think that mound erodes about 10 to 15% of the value of capital held and denominated in dollars over time for the next 10 years. And that is, I would call that hyperinflation, personally. The reason I don't refer to it as hyperinflation is because when most people use the term and you start throwing out a number like 15%, a sustained 15%, that's not a direct like CPI inflation, it's like cost of capital, right? They think that's not that bad, right? So when I say it's not hyperinflation, I mean it's not hyperinflation the way the word's thrown around. Once you have that, I think you have to have money move to hard assets, and that's why you're going to see a lot of money moving into the crypto space. It's all speculation. You know what Bitcoin isn't? It's not speculation. Bitcoin is the understanding that you have a fixed number of units that can never be changed, on an incredibly secure network where nobody can steal it from you. It's, it's, it's not speculation. Now, how far up it will go up or down, that's speculation. But the underlying asset is, 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 more, is less speculation than the dollar. What if I told you three years ago that in 2020, the Fed would just print $2.5 trillion? You would have said, ah. Or you said, I'm a inflation, right? But... You were speculating on either one of those outcomes. It did happen. It didn't create hyperinflation the way that the shrieking people would mean it. So, anyway, I'm going to say my advice goes counter to a lot of what I'm seeing. What I'm seeing a lot of people say right now with, with supplies is if you can get it, buy it. No matter what it costs. Just get it now. Get it now. Markets adjust and adapt I think a lot of things that you would do right now, even though the erosion of monetary value won't go away, the price of a good or service is not directly 100% linked to inflation. And what I mean by that is you can have, let's say if inflation was 5%, you can still have a good or a commodity go up 10 or 15 because of supply side. Equally, you could have inflation at you know 5% or 10%. And you could have a good or a commodity go down in price significantly because there's a supply glut. Like you don't get rid of supply and demand just because you have inflation. In fact, it's how they get away with a lot of the inflation because supply and demand correct for it. So I'm not big on let's go hoard everything right now. I think that will only make things worse. And I think you need to be much more careful with your priorities when it comes to spending money on housing, materials, goods, etc. And I'm going to tell you now, Food is not immune to this. 
Food is not immune to this by any stretch of the imagination. And just be smart about how you spend your money right now and where you spend your time prepping. Um, next, let me give you something, some good news. Maybe some good news. I don't know how many of you will use this, but I, this is one of those things I'm like, really? Wow, that's great. So I did this project at the last workshop where we built this kind of low timber frame pond. It's only about two feet deep. And we drain duck wastewater into it about once a week. We throw this plant in there called water hyacinth to grow food for the ducks. And one of my plans was I built some tanks, and it pumps water out of the big pond into these tanks. They overflow back into the pond for aeration. And in those tanks, I want to grow various things, and one of those things is crayfish. So I'm going to try growing a, a crayfish called the marble crayfish, which is self-replicating. Not knowing how it's going to work out and not knowing any place where people actually grow these things in, in quantity like that, I ordered 100 regular everyday crayfish, like the ones you buy at in March to eat for a big crawfish boil. And I threw like 10 of them in one of these tanks, and I have like 90 more of them. And since that system is doing what we call cycling, and it's going to go through spikes and ammonia and nitrite, nitrate, all that, I said, if you put them all in there, you run the real risk of it spiking even higher and killing them all. And all your money's gone and all your fish are dead and you'll cry. So I threw 90 of them in the other shallow pond that I have in my aviary. And I just have like some goldfish and minnows in there and I run aquaponics with it and what have you. It's a 250-gallon, um, it's basically like a drip pan, like for industrial use that I got stupid, stupid cheap on Facebook. And so I threw them in there, and I'd started having real issues with string algae lately. Like, I go in, and my, my top tank where it's overflowing is, like, half-drained, and it pump's barely running. And you have to take the whole thing apart, and string algae's in there. And this huge bloom of string algae. And all of a sudden, I started noticing a little less and a little less and a little less of the string algae. Now, anybody that's dealt with string algae knows, like, it, there's very few things that eat string algae... It gets into everything. It overtakes everything. It's a pain in the ass. I think they're eating it because I don't know where else it would be going. And what reinforced this is yesterday evening, it was still kind of light out. I went and fed my fish, and I have some sinking pellets that are for, like, feeding cichlids, basically. It's what I've been feeding my little marble crayfish that I keep in a tank in the house. And I took a pretty good handful, and I spread them out in kind of an open area for the crayfish. Because, you know, you give floating fish food and all the goldfish eat it, the crayfish really don't get much of a shot at it. So I went out just at dark to shut the ducks in, and I took a walk back there, and I figured I'd shine the light in, and I'd see all the little crayfish being greedy and shoving these things in their mouth, and they'd all go hauling ass like they do and hiding, because it's kind of cool to watch them do it. I get out there, and all the pellets are there. I don't know all of them, but most of them are still there. No crayfish are eating them. And I'm shining a light around, and I'm scaring them as I do it a little bit here and there, but most of them are like up on the sidewalls, and they look like they're working the algae. Now, this is what makes this cool. String algae is high in protein, but most things, like I said, don't eat it, mainly, I think, because of its structure. It probably don't taste very good to most critters as well. Um, but it's one of those things, like, once it's in a system, it's very difficult to get rid of. Like green water algae, you throw a barley straw bale in and it just disappears in a week. 
Um, without some fairly harsh chemicals, uh, you it's really hard. Anybody that's ever kept a fish tank knows once string algae is in your fish tank, it is just like if you have crustaceans, you're going to have to kill them. You're going to have to kill them. You're going to have to use like an algicide, and you're going to end up killing your crustaceans, and you're going to have to rebuild if you're running shrimp or anything like that. Like it just otherwise, you're not going to get rid of it once it's really established. So this is like an aquatic super weed, even though it's not really a weed because it's an algae. If you can take an animal with a high protein value that will eat it, that you can then use for food or feed, you have a perpetual system. You have turned the problem into the solution in a huge way. So that's just, I don't know this yet, but it surely looks that way. Next, I want it real quick, a little just thought of the day thing. I saw something on, on, on MeWe today, a little meme. And said something to the effect of the education system, school system, I don't remember exactly what it said, but basically public schools, for many people, will be the only place in their life where they experience actual violence. Actual physical violence. And I thought about that for a second and I almost rejected it out of hand. I almost didn't think about it. I almost missed the word most. Because I'm thinking... I've seen some violence in my life that had nothing to do with the school system. But then I thought about the word most. And I realized, like, especially with, like, all the self-defense training and stuff I've done like that, like, when you start talking to people about real-world violence, even people that are taking self-defense training, many of them don't know really what you're talking about. Because they're, you know, generally, I just want you to think about your average day. If you don't count TV... Because that's not to you. It affects you only if you allow TV to affect you, right? In your average day, do you get punched or kicked or beaten or anything like that? And the answer is you don't. Unless you're in prison or something, right? Which is interesting here with this analogy, right? You don't go to work and somebody who doesn't like you when you're walking to the lunchroom slaps your shit out of your hands. You don't get tormented physically at work. Right, I know some of you like you have really hard labor jobs, and all, but you know what I'm saying. Where else do people get physically accosted outside of the, the the prison system on a regular basis? And in general, it's considered, eh, you know, it happens. Kids work themselves out, or people work things out for themselves. I spent about two years of my life where I worked part time is a bouncer at a nightclub. I walked dozens of drunk, obnoxious, drunk, not so obnoxious, and they just didn't want to leave at closing time people out the door. Dozens. I, I had multiple times where you got two guys, things are getting kind of heated. I take one, one of the other guys takes the other. Look, guys, you know, if you really want to do this with each other, no one can stop you from doing this, you know, somewhere other than here. But if you do it here, there's more here than just me that are going to handle it. You're not going to like the way we handle it. And when we get control of the situation, you're not just going out with an ass kicking. You're going, you're going to ride in a cop car. So you really don't want that to happen, right? Two years of doing that. Two years of doing that. One person took a swing at me. One person in two years. And I never even hit him. He happened to hit a wall. He happened to fall down. We happened to pick him up, make sure he was okay. And 
you know, we didn't call the police on him. We got him in a cab and sent him home. But he took a swing at me. I ducked and I put his head into the wall on the way out the door. You know, and that's like you're literally going into a situation where you know you're going to engage in potential violence and in two years one. And if that guy had been, like, if he had one less drink that night, he probably would have been willing to be walked out the door. Because it wasn't like I was strong-arming him out the door. In fact, that's why he was able to take a swing at me. Because it was just, it was random, everyday type thing. Look, my boss says I have to get rid of you, so you know you're going to leave. And, you know, you, you, I know you're going to want to come back tomorrow, right? And, you know, if, if, if I have to do this The hard way, you're not going to be able to come back ever. And we don't want that. Come back tomorrow. I'm off work. If I'm here, I'll buy you a drink. Like, it's that kind of like psychological, you know, de-escalation. And he was just, I don't know, he saw the door and he realized I'm really being set out of this place and he decided he didn't want to do it and bam. But that was one. I'm trying to think of needing to have Conflict, physical conflict, outside of the school system other than that. And I know some of you are cops, some of you do work security, some of you are, you know, private security, whatever, and you're thinking, I, I have to deal with shit like physical. Yeah, okay, but most. You're sending your kids to a place where it's probable that they are going to have physical violence conducted upon them. And it will be the only place that they ever go in life where that's going to happen. Doesn't mean it can't happen elsewhere, right? We saw right here in Texas, less than a few miles from my house, where an older man shot a guy in the head who killed two people with a shotgun before he did. And thank God that guy was there and didn't more people to get killed. So we prepare for this violent reality that can happen. But it really hit me, pun intended. Most people will never experience violence anywhere other than in the school system. Why are we sending our kids there? You don't have to. There is a better way. And then I just want to finish today kind of hearkening back to yesterday's show with how I've actually come to peace with how effed up the world is. I think a lot of people that knew me early on in this show where I'd get a lot more animated and revved up and yelling at people like, you need to do some, like wonder, like, how did this transition from like Klingon Jack to Vulcan Jack happened, I started to realize that the only thing I control is me. When it comes to the doing the right thing, the only thing I control is me. When it comes to how angry I get about a thing or don't get about a thing, the only person that controls that is me. I have no way to help the morons I see driving in their car by themselves with two masks on. I have no way to do that. There's nothing I can say to that person that's going to change their behavior. So why get angry about it? I do still get angry. But then I really quick, I catch myself and go, you don't control that. I think there is an incredible peace. You know, the, the serenity prayer, the accept the things that you don't control is some, some version of the line in it. I think there's an incredible piece from that. It, 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 do you change what you can and, and accept what you can't change? I think when we, we say that and we think about it as the serenity prayer, we think the things I can't change, we're thinking more about the things we can't change within ourselves. 
There are certain limitations we have as people. But I think the, the better way to understand it is you actually can change the majority of things about yourself and the way you respond to things. That's what you can change. Now, if you were paralyzed and the injury to your spinal cord was such that there is no hope of it ever working again and you're wheelchair-bound for the rest of your life, that's an example of a thing within yourself that you can't change. But other than that level... You can change, and you still have control over how you respond to that. And I can't say I would respond to it very well. I don't know. I haven't had to face such a harsh reality. But you, but you still control it. You still control it, whether you can or you, you, you can't get yourself to exercise that control. doesn't matter. You, you are making a choice. And the majority of things that people worry about, And the majority of things that people get angry about, the majority of things that people worry about, the majority of things that people are upset about, are outside their circle of control, and they're even outside their circle of influence. For years I taught circle of influence, circle of concern, right? So we have things that we have influence over, and we have things that we have concern about, but we do not have influence over. You know, the price of oil. You have no influence on it. None. Well, I cannot buy oil, and it will not be a drop in the barrel. It won't matter. Price of oil is going to do what the price of oil is going to do. You, 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 you know, what celebrity sleeping with what other celebrity you have no control over, right? How the media lies, you have no control over. You can control whether you watch it. You control whether you let it upset you. You control whether you believe it. You control whether you were willing to say, you know, it's a good thing that a douchebag like Bill Maher has realized how much of the COVID narrative is a lie, you chose whether you took the segment I played at the beginning of the show that way or you focused on his snide remarks about Trump and climate change. Right? You chose which side of that you focused on because that bad stuff, that stuff you don't like about Bill Maher, was the same yesterday, it was the same six months ago, it was the same six years ago. That's who the man is. He's been that way. If you don't worry about him on a daily basis, then you shouldn't. Then when somebody brings to your attention the fact that this person, you know exactly who and what he is, has realized that his own side has been lying about a thing and comes out and says it, then you choose to see that as good news. And you ignore the fact that guy's a piss bag because he always was. Doesn't matter. You choose. And the day I fully realized that, My life got better. My life got better. And my potential age probably got longer. Because the number one killer in the world today, I know we like to believe it's government. And government may be behind a lot of it. But the number one killer in the world today, especially in the developed world, is stress. So it's obesity. How much of stress is, how much of obesity is stress induced eating? They're, they're, they just, just trust me, guys. Be at peace that with that you cannot change. And then you'll find a tremendous amount of time, resources, and even money to focus on the things you do control that you can change. Remember, circle of influence, circle of concern, totally valid. But within your circle of influence, the, the further you move from the core of that circle outward, the less influence you have. You changing your brother Bob's opinion about a politician is a very meaningless piece of influence. Now, inside that circle of influence, a much smaller circle, a sphere really, 
circle of control. The more time you spend on your circle of control, the larger your circle of influence becomes. It seems counterintuitive, but it's true. Because nothing gets people listening to you like living life successfully, especially at a time when others are struggling to do so. It's kind of like, hey, man, what do you have going on there? I want some of it. Remember all these people we talked about not being able to reach yesterday? There is a way you can reach them. You have to make them reach out to you. When they ask for your help, you have permission to give it to them. With that, let's wrap things up. Let me remind you, if you like the show and the work that we do, uh, you can help support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Look, guys, I'm bringing an item around because it's finally back. It hasn't been back since I featured it, uh, to my knowledge anyway. And it's one of these things, like, I never felt I should have had to do this in the first place. I'm not, what was the guy's name, David Horowitz or something? The guy that had, like, the, you know, product review show or something back in the 80s. I can't remember the guy's name. David something. Um, Fight Back was the show, right, about all these rip-off products. But he would also occasionally say, like, well, if you do want something like this, then this is the one to get. Hose nozzles. Holy crap. Has the world not devolved into a place where you can't get jackedly shit to work from a hose nozzle. Every hose nozzle I've bought in the last 10 years, with the exception of the two I'm going to tell you about today, and actually a third one that's in there too now, um, I've eventually ended up like a deranged boomer, and I was really more like a deranged WW2, because I was thinking of my, my coal mining grandfather, like there's two of them at least, on the other side of my fence in the woods, where I like hurled them in deranged boomer-like you know, fanaticism, and scream, they don't make things like they used to. Um, and I finally was like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I can't keep buying, you know, the, the hose nozzle looks a little better, using it for six months and throwing it over the fence. Like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cause the island to tip over or something, you know? <laughs> Some of you get that. Anyway, like, like you know, I'm, I'm building a junkyard back there of throwing these things away. And uh, so I went on, like, a research bench. For hose nozzles. And it took the better part of a week to weed through the fake reviews and things like that. And I found two. One is made by a company called Icris, I-K-R-I-S. This is kind of the best adjustable throttle, multiple pattern nozzle I've been able to find, period. And it was the one that sold out almost instantly. Like, I did this review and they were gone. It's back and it's on sale under 10 bucks. It was like an $18 nozzle when I brought it to you. It's back and it's under, everything went up. I guess they got a, like, they must have ordered them after they sold out and got them before this shit went crazy. And now they got a surplus. See, supply and demand overcome. That's what you buy in, in a time like this. Uh, so the Icarus, really great. And then the other one is a brass one made by a company called Nysist, N-Y-S-I-S-T. This one looks kind of like a miniature fireman's nozzle. And there's a lot of brass ones like that that are not like this one. They have all kinds of like shitty parts inside of them. Uh, in the video, I take this thing completely apart. I show you the internals. I went through reviewing these two items, the pluses and minuses, which one's right for you and my write-up, at a level that I just don't feel should be necessary for a hose nozzle, but my experience has shown me otherwise. When I did this, and I, I just haven't gotten around to reviewing this, and I need to review this one too. And there's a little PS in the bottom of the write-up today. There's another one made by a company called Bon Air, B-O-N-A-I-R-E, the original ultimate aluminum hose nozzle. Now, 
It's important. There's two different versions of it. You want the all-aluminum one. And this one's kind of like a hybrid between the two. It has variances in its pattern. It is, I think, better than the nicest brass one, but it kind of works like that fireman's hose, like twisty type thing. And I love it, and I actually like it more than the other two, but I like all three of them. So after going through, and I mean literally over a hundred hose nozzles, I found three that aren't complete garbage that turned me into a raving lunatic deranged boomer and caused me to throw them over the fence. So if you are heading into gardening season and you want you know, something to be able to do this stuff with without turning into a deranged boomer, check these ones out. Remember, you'd already know about it, especially if the Icarus sells out again. Maybe it's gone already. I don't know. If you are on the Telegram channel, that's the number one way. Even if you're on the other social media with me, you know, the Telegram channel goes right to your phone. You see it. There's not a lot of other stuff there. It's just for me. Um, you can also be on our mail list. You get it later in the day after the show goes live. But check them out again. It's made by a company called Icarus, I-K-R-I-S, for one of them, and Nicest for the third and Bon Air or for the second and Bon Air for the third. They're all great, and I promise you, I promise you, soon, I will get the Bonaire one individually reviewed with a video and all for you. With that, remember, you can always help us out no matter what you buy, as long as you do your online shopping, starting at tspaz.com. And it's time for our song of the day. We are in 420 week. These are all songs about cannabis, a.k.a. marijuana, a.k.a. pot, a.k.a. weed, or, as referred to by Black Sabbath all the way back in the 60s, Sweet Leaf, which is today's song. I'm not going to talk about this song other than to say, man, This is Ozzy in his prime. I recently was at a store and it had the radio playing on some classic rock thing. And they're talking about Ozzy's going on tour again. Like, man, dude, there's a time to stop. I don't mean to tell you your business, but yeah, you know, he, he, a guy might kill over and die on stage. Maybe he wants to. I don't know. But, you know, I think like he ain't what he was. And man, he was something really amazing in his prime. And you get to hear that. Ozzy in his prime, that very distinctive vocal in his song. So that's all I'll say about the song. What I want to talk about, though, with today being 420, and us doing 420 week and all, and that wasn't my idea anyway. You know, I have a a music producer, basically, named John Adam, and he, he chooses the songs and categorizes them and sends them to me uh, every month, basically usually a month at a time. But I was like, yeah, we'll do this. What I really wanted to kind of point out today, being actual 420 day, how many lives have been destroyed because the state felt the need to regulate a plant. I really don't know anybody that's ruined their life with marijuana. Cannabis, call it what you want. I know people that are kind of burnouts, but they are kind of people are you kind of like they'd be burnout on something. But I don't really like I can tell you, I can tell you firsthand knowledge of some people who have completely destroyed themselves or even killed themselves with things like meth and cocaine. So while I don't think prohibition really works anywhere and is good in any way, I can at least understand why somebody would think so. Cannabis? And the people are like, the cannabis today is like so much more powerful than the cannabis in the 80s. You know why? Because the government, that's why. Because when the government said, well, if you have less than this much, you get a ticket instead of go to prison, they made it stronger so you could get more effect from less. It's, it's unintended consequences. It's what happens. I mean, really. But just think about it, guys. Because I think it's a good thing 
to think about whenever somebody says there ought to be a law. When you say there ought to be a law, what you're saying is money should be taken from people against their will through the use of force to interfere with voluntary interactions by other people against their will to use violence on them up to and including to the point of death so that these people over here can have those people over there who aren't bothering them not do a thing they don't want them to do. Man, you can't get a better thing to explain that than the way we've reacted so insanely to the cannabis plant. With that's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. 